Hey, hey, hey! Welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer. Excited to be here with you for a Friday episode of the show after a long and arduous journey to Port St. Lucie, Florida, where the Cardinals lost to the Mets this afternoon by a score of 3-2. to two. And traffic was ridiculous on the way out of there, so it took me, I mean, I think it took me over two hours to get home, all told. I did stop for food real quick, but that didn't take very long at all. So, normally what would be like an hour ended up being two, and so a little bit late to getting to everything today. So I apologize for that if you've been waiting for the episode to drop earlier on Friday. But I'm getting to it now. And we're going to do a little bit of everything in today's show. I had mentioned earlier in the week that I had some questions on Twitter that that people were asking about. And so because it was all Dylan Carlson yesterday, I said I'd get to some of that today, which I'll do. There's not too many, but we do have a few. And we'll talk a little bit about the game from Friday, performances that stood out in any way. Uh, There were some performances that stood out from the Mets side of things uh, because I, I don't know if you saw it, but Tim Tebow had a little bit of a spill in left field on what should have been the final out of the game. I'm a huge Tim Tebow fan. I love the guy. I, I don't think he's quite cut out for this particular sport, but, uh, you know, still a fan of his. But, yeah, I, I think I saw him bending down to tie his shoe after the fact. I think a few different people posted some video of it on Twitter if you missed it, but it was a, a pretty standard fly ball to left field, and... Rather than catch it, he just took a tumble right before the ball got to him and the Cardinals runner made second base. Fortunately for him, it didn't cost the Mets the game. It would have been the last out of the game in a 3-2 game. It put a runner in scoring position, but the next batter lined out to right field to end things, and so that was it from Port St. Lucie. The Cardinals lose it 3-2. But on the Cardinals' side of things, one guy that stood out, I I think more so than anybody else today, was Daniel Ponce de Leon. And he's continued to look impressive in his opportunities. And today was no exception. As Ponce goes, three innings of work, four strikeouts within those three innings, allowing a couple of hits but no runs and no walks. He commanded the strike zone today, was very impressive using his fastball registering on the radar gun around the mid-90s. And it's hard to say exactly what all these pitches were. I know the the radar gun malfunctioned later in the game when Alex Reyes was on the mound. So whether or not it was accurate when Ponce was pitching, he uh, succeeded Wainwright in the game. Adam Wainwright led things off for the Cardinals. And then Ponce de Leon still working as a starter, still competing for a spot in theory in the rotation for the Cardinals. And he looked really, really good today. Threw a lot of fastballs, fastballs up in the zone. He was commanding it wherever he was putting it, making guys look bad. Adam Wainwright had a strikeout of Tim Tebow on a nasty curve that just froze Tim Tebow. Ball landed right around the inside corner, lower half. Tebow didn't know what to do with it, didn't have a chance, and so he struck out looking. And so the next time Tebow comes up, it's to face Ponce de Leon. And we're up in the press box, and we're, we're watching. We're like, okay, is he going to break off a, a breaking pitch here and make Tebow look foolish again? How's this going to go? But Ponce kept pounding the fastball. He didn't end up needing a breaking pitch to to put Tebow away on a strikeout swinging. The the fastball just looked really good, had a lot of life to it, and Ponce was talking after the game to reporters that that were there about the different pitches that he was was focused on today. Interestingly enough, before the game, he was working on a new grip for his slider with Austin Gomber, 
Ponce said after the game that he threw it a little bit in the game, like a grip that essentially was a variation off of what he normally does. Basically learned it today or was tinkering with it when throwing before the game and broke it out and, and said he liked how it felt, said he liked it, you know, the, the, the dynamic of the pitch. And so normally he throws more of a cutter, slider. He called it a slutter that he said he's thrown in the past. And so kind of feels like he might be a little bit in between searching for exactly the, the right dynamic and style to, to give to that pitch, a pitch that's, you know, it's not a curveball. It's, it's, it's not going to be that slow of a breaking pitch. There's still some velocity behind it, but it's got a little bit of late movement, whether it's closer to a slider because it's a bigger break or closer to a cutter because it's a little bit more on the velocity without quite as much of a break, but it'll tail at the end. Uh, you know, just kind of working with some things like that. And so he, he liked what he was able to do today with that. And you think about Ponce de Leon, a guy that you've never really thought about him in the context of the closer conversation, I don't think. And I even asked Mike Schultz about this earlier in the spring. Talk about the different guys, Ryan Helsley, even Alex Reyes, Gio Gallegos, Andrew Miller's got experience as a closer. Talk about, you know, who who is going to be the front runner? Who do we kind of project to end up having the first crack at that closer job. Schilt has kind of shied away from those questions this early in the spring because right now it's just more about getting guys their work. It doesn't really matter what inning. It's not you know comparable to an actual game, regular season game scenario. And so if somebody's pitching the sixth inning right now versus the eighth inning, it, it, there's really no rhyme or reason to it other than just kind of getting, getting guys to have their work in. And that's really all there is to it right now. So it's still a little bit early to to look and say, okay, what would it look like if we had so-and-so pitch the eighth and then the other guy pitch the ninth today? It's kind of a little early to determine those kinds of things. But I thought Ponce de Leon, he strikes me as the kind of pitcher who who just has a, a real presence on the mound and attacks hitters, and when he gets his confidence going, when he's got his mojo, he could really be hard to, you know, that's like a freight train. You're not going to slow that guy down, and so... I've wondered, you know, could he be somebody that they would consider for the closing conversation? But when you ask these kind of questions right now, you know, Mike Schilt is always going to say, well, he's competing as a starter. Don't forget that. And, you know, we're aware, but it's it's kind of reporters. We're kind of trying to get a little bit ahead of ourselves and figure out who, who these guys, these candidates are going to be for the different roles in the Cardinals bullpen. But Mike Schilt seemed to kind of, you know, just the way he answered the question when I asked it a few days ago, indicate that it's just not something they've given a whole lot of thought to Ponce de Leon as the closer, you know. But I thought maybe he could be an underrated guy in that category. But the more you see him pitch like he did today, I'm just thinking there might be a starting spot for this guy one way or another. The obvious answer would be somebody would have to get hurt and then you'd lose another starter and and he could plug right in. Another way that that could happen is Carlos Martinez. For whatever reason, it's not panning out for him as a starter. I believe we'll see him tomorrow. Uh, one of these days over the weekend, at least. Saturday, I think, is when he's scheduled to pitch a few innings. And so we'll see what his progress is like. But, And I asked my shield after today's game, like, with Ponce de Leon doing what he's doing, I understand that you have to have some element of depth ready in Memphis when the season begins. Guys like Ponce de Leon and Gomber, you could figure, okay, naturally, we don't consider them part of the conversation for the closer job, like a Helsley or a Reyes. And so maybe rather than, you know stick them into the bullpen in a role where it's not really defined. Like we could say Ponce could be the long man in the bullpen. That makes sense. Like, okay, but is that role as valuable as the value he could bring? If you end up needing a starter, he could be the next man up. 
And so I, I tried to ask Schilt about this, like how do you balance that, the idea that you know you'd like to have somebody like Ponce de Leon ready to go if something does happen in the first couple of weeks of the season or in May, and you need somebody to fill a rotation spot, and you feel really good about Ponce de Leon, or with what he's doing right now, like how can you put him in Memphis? You know, how can you want to waste those bullets if he's pitching this well? And Mike Schilt basically, you know, said, yeah, the, if he's pitching like this, that, that'll that play. That's something that we're going to want to have with us. So remains to be seen what that role could look like. The more I see him pitch like he did today, I'm I'm saying, hey, consider any avenue you can toward having him as a starter. And I think we're starting to going to see Ryan Helsley maybe in more of a relief role. Like, now's the time of spring when you when you want to watch, okay, how many innings are guys pitching? That'll give you an indication as to whether or not they're still involved in the starter competition to the extent that some of the others might be. Today, Wainwright, three innings. Ponce de Leon, three innings. Last week, everybody was throwing two. You know, read into this what you will, and I, I think, you know, Mike Schultz, if we, I didn't ask him about this today specifically, but if you were to ask him, Alex Reyes, you know, Scheduled for the eighth inning today, only one inning, rather than maybe wait another day and have him be somebody that that builds back up. Is that an indication about which way the wind might blow for Alex Reyes? Now, part of that you could say, well, Reyes didn't even get through one inning last time, so they were just maybe trying to get him back out there and we'll see. But I have to imagine you're going to start to see a trend toward Reyes geared up for a relief role, competing for a bullpen spot. The same thing with Ryan Helsley which would be, as I've talked about in the podcast, disappointing to me because I would love to see what Helsley could do in a starting role, especially if he's, you know, working multiple pitches and has enough, you know, speed variation and different things to to work through five, six innings at a time as a starter. I would like to see him get the opportunity to do that. Part of it, though, may be the curveball that they were thinking was going to be ready to roll, didn't have a whole lot of pizzazz to it in his last outing, and so... Maybe they're thinking he won't have enough pitches. That's just me speculating, but uh, I think Helsley could certainly be a weapon in the bullpen, so that could be part of why they're trending in that direction as well, to say if we start gearing him up for a bullpen role, which I don't believe they've officially said is what they're doing, but just kind of trying to read the tea leaves, that could be the way this trends because of the knowledge of what he could do as an 8th inning, ninth inning reliever. And so Ponce de Leon, maybe not considered for that conversation yet, but I, I think whatever the role you'd like to see, this version of Daniel Ponce de Leon pitching in St. Louis uh, as a part of that bullpen, as a part of that rotation when the Cardinals head to Cincinnati on March 26. But, you know, we'll we'll wait and see what ends up becoming of that and, and how he looks in his next outing. Other guys that pitched today, I mentioned Wainwright. Curveball looked nasty. He really got Tebow on one. Uh, made him look silly, but that's what Wainwright does with the curve. Otherwise, he kind of said he was tinkering today with some of his other pitches, including the fastball and the other off-speed pitches that are not the curve. And I asked him, is the curveball just something that, you know, you don't have to tinker with it after all these years of throwing it as kind of your marquee pitch? I mean, his I believe his Twitter name is still Uncle Charlie 50 And so it kind of gives you an indication for how he feels about that pitch. It's his bread and butter. And it was kind of interesting to hear him talk about the pitch after the game and just some of the things that he had to say. I won't introduce it too much because I'm just going to play it for you so you can hear Wayno's own words. I asked him after he had talked about tinkering with the fastball and doing this with the changeup. I just kind of said the curveball though that's not really a pitch you feel the need to tinker with at this point in your career and here's what he had to say. I'm not tinkering with it. I, I use it like I use it you know and can change shapes with it or and make it bigger or smaller or slower or faster so I'm not I really don't want to think about it too much. I mean guys keep asking me like what's your thought process or what is your 
what's your keys on that pitch? But you know, if there's some things that come naturally for people, you know, Hans doesn't have to think about his fastball up. I don't have to think about my breaking ball a whole lot. Just do what I want to with it. And you heard the little nod in there to Ponce de Leon and the fastball. That was something we talked about with Wainwright as well. And Wainwright certainly seemed impressed by Ponce. So we'll have to wait and see what becomes of, of Ponce's opportunities for the season as as we go through things the rest of this spring training session. Like Austin Gomber is another guy that looked pretty good in his last outing. You know, you've got KK, you've got Carlos Martinez going tomorrow. Uh, you've got Dakota Hudson and Flaherty that have been solid. And so you've only got so many spots. If everybody stays healthy, they're going to have to kind of get creative with how they do things. But we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Going to wrap up the rest of the bullpen talk of how the guys uh, in relief of Wainwright and Ponce de Leon performed today. There was a couple more. And then I'm going to get into some of those questions from Twitter and we can kind of end the show on that today. But before we do that, let's get to Andrew Miller. Made his first appearance today of the spring. Mike Shilton talked about, you know, a veteran guy bringing him along a little bit more slowly just because of, you know, just how many times he's done this. And not an injury-related thing, just a getting him some extra time before he gets ramped up thing. But today, a little bit questionable at the start of Andrew Miller's outing. He had some pitches that were really, really wild. He hit a guy, I believe it was Tebow that he hit, and then just had a couple that wild pitch crossed up the catcher, I believe, and then had one that could have been a wild pitch, but the catcher somehow held on to it. Just like some really weird stuff. He honed in, though. He settled down, bared down, and, and found his stuff and had a nice strikeout. Gave up a run in the inning, had a walk. Um, so a little bit, you know, I would say unconventional for Andrew Miller, although at times last year he had some command issues. But this was different. It was kind of weird. But he since he settled things down, I don't think it's anything to worry about. So just getting his first appearance of the season out of the way. And he'll continue to to work and try to fine-tune some of that as he goes along. Alex Reyes, though, was notable. He took the loss today, officially for the Cardinals, in a 3-2 game. It was 2-2, and then he did give up a run. It was a home run, a solo shot, the only hit he gave up. That's the good news. He had a couple of strikeouts in the inning and looked like his vintage self. Mike Schultz, after the game, did not really, you know, wax poetic about the, the Reyes outing, but just kind of sounded like, yeah, this is what we expect to see from him. And some of the pitches were, you know, devastating, nasty stuff. And so he did let one over the plate on a fastball, give up the home run. You know, that's that's something he's going to probably have to work through. But, hey, after the last outing, when you talk about you just wanted him to throw strikes, he was throwing strikes more often today, had the two strikeouts, left one that was a little bit, probably too much of the zone, and that's why they, they were able to send it out of the yard. But definitely an improvement for Reyes over the first outing in which he only was able to retire one batter before they had to pull him. So good sign from Reyes, hopefully something that he's able to build upon. Even though he took the loss, even though he gave up the home run, I think easy to say that it was light years better than what he did in his previous timeout. And so uh, we'll get to see as he goes along what he's able to do and how he's able to build off of this positive outing. But that was kind of the day for Cardinals pitchers. And on the offensive side of things, not a whole lot of guys stood out. It was two solo home runs that ended up making the day for the Cardinals offense as they scored their both their runs on on, on the solo shots. Uh, Paul Goldsmith hit one. It was an opposite field bomb that went pretty far, a uh, pretty impressive swing. Austin Dean had a very impressive swing as well uh, with a pitch hit homer later in that game. 
And looking at Dean's statistics here, he's got an 855 OPS for spring, but a 182 batting average. That sounds about right uh, for, I think, maybe what kind of player he could end up being. Uh, ideally, if he's going to be able to crack this roster at some point in time, and I'm not talking about opening day. If everybody's healthy, I don't see Dean in the mix. But I think he is a guy that you could see later on in the summer at some point in time. Uh, could be a, an interesting bat off the bench, but he, he showed a little bit of why today with a, a long home run to the pole side. Uh, to left field. So that's really the noteworthy elements today from the offensive standpoint. Uh, Bader was also on base a couple of times, and one of them was a a nice bunt hit. I got to give credit where it's due. I know we don't like talking about bunts and that we don't think it's a, you know, an element of the game that is very valuable. But I think in Bader's case, you could make an argument that when he bunted today, it was the perfect time to do so because he had a runner on first, Bunted it toward the third baseman, placed it really, really well to where the third baseman tried to barehand it and throw him out. Would have needed to make a near-perfect play to get him. And so he was credited with a base hit after the third baseman just whiffed on the barehand attempt. But in that situation, if you don't get to first base, with which oftentimes if you lay a bunt down that good, you're going to get there if you're Harrison Bader because he's got really good speed. He's got wheels. But if you don't, you still advance the runner to second base. And so they talked about, I asked Schultz about it, I asked Bader about it, I talked about just that being an element of his game that's, you know, sometimes when you have a tough pitcher or you're not feeling quite yourself at the plate, it's a way that he can still contribute to the offensive game plan without having to hit a ball 400 feet. And I think a lot of times you'd like to see a little bit of in-between ground, right? You're saying, okay, Bader's not going to be a power hitter, but he also doesn't have to be a, a guy bunting every time he goes up there. I think ultimately, you know, the primary focus for him as a player will be somewhere in between hitting to all fields, taking advantage of his speed by hitting balls in the gap, you know, hitting balls hard, but it doesn't have to be over the fence. Just just put a good swing on it. But in this case, I think it worked out just fine, and he was able to, to, to kind of try to get a rally started. It didn't work out, obviously, because they didn't score on anything that wasn't a home run today which is go- it's going to be a thing that we're going to continue to talk about because that's kind of seemed to be a problem the Cardinals had last year. And I know it's just spring training, but you'd like to see them be able to manufacture some more runs the way they did the other day with Dylan Carlson, you know, moving the runner over by hitting a ground ball to the right side. And then DeYoung drove in Colton Wong after Wong had the leadoff double. More of that, the home runs are fine. We're not going to deride, you know, criticize somebody for hitting a home run but you'd like to see a little bit more balance in the offense. And that's why they only scored two runs today. So results totally not even a concern at this point in time, but just kind of worth keeping an eye on and, and keeping in mind when these opportunities to, to produce do come up, what do you do with runners in scoring position? What do you do with men on base? Cardinals stay were 0 for 7 and they left 7 on board. So not necessarily what you want to see. But going to take a quick break here, tell you about Anchor, and then I'll come back and we'll wrap up the show today with some qu- uh, Twitter questions and some things that people were wondering on that side of the social media sphere. I'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Appreciate you sticking with us through the commercial for this episode of B-Shape Daily. Going to do some Twitter questions here. And before I do that, going to plug the social. It's at bshafer12 and facebook.com slash bshafer12 as well. 
Got a few questions. One was more just a talking point. Somebody sent me a DM, wanted me to talk about Andrew Kisner. And so I'm going to start, kind of start off there for this. And just a discussion of kind of how he might fit into things. You know, this Yadier Molina, I saw that Yadi had told Mark Saxon, I, I have not gotten around to reading the article yet, but I did see this, that told Mark Saxon that he would potentially be willing to take a lesser role in 2022 if he were to re-sign on a multi-year deal with the Cardinals. We've talked about back to winter warm-up that Yachty was maybe looking for two more years, and people would say, okay, his durability has already kind of declined. He's played in fewer games each of the last, I believe it's like each of the last three seasons, he's played in fewer games than he did the year before that. And so they had Carson Kelly. They traded him away in the Goldschmidt deal. What's going to be the status with Andrew Kisner? Because this was Nick on the direct message he sent me saying, seems like he's pretty much ready for a big league spot, but obviously you've got Yachty there, and then they've signed Matt Wieters. And so where does Kisner stand at this point in time? Is it another Carson Kelly situation? Is he going to get a chance, maybe with the 26th man uh, on the roster this season, being an avenue the Cardinals could explore for Kisner? I don't think it's going to be the case. You know, you can make the argument that now at 25 years old, does he have a lot left to prove in Memphis necessarily? Uh, he doesn't have the the overwhelming offensive statistics, you know, at the major league level, but that was a very small uh, sample size that he had last year. And for Memphis in 2018, or pardon me, 2019, his OPS was 821. So that's a solid, that's a solid producer, and I think somebody that – you know, could could thrive at the big league level and, and have some solid numbers for the Cardinals if he got the opportunity. But I think with the Matt Wieters thing, it kind of signaled, okay, not that they don't trust Andrew Kisner. Maybe part of it was keeping their options open as far as if he was going to be a trade chip. That might have been part of the Wieters situation. But do the Cardinals really want, knowing the amount that Yachty's going to play, do they really want their current top catching prospect to be sitting on the bench in St. Louis and not playing very often? with Molina healthy versus getting him more reps in Memphis. You know, he had a late transition to the catcher position. I understand that. But I do think he's a solid player offensively, defensively, can handle himself. But if you're talking about not wanting to waste him on the bench as the backup, I, the more I think about it, I just don't think they're going to want to waste him on the bench as the third catcher because he just wouldn't get a whole lot of playing time. And so if there's an injury to Molina, you'll see him split the time with Weeders. If there's an injury to Weeders, you'll probably have to see Andrew Kisner up. I, I just don't think he's going to start the season on the Major League roster. But then in, in a longer-term view, okay, if, if Yachty really would be, in theory, willing to accept more of a reduced role by 2022, that would still be implying that 2021 he would still probably be the main guy. But I could see a scenario where by next year, if Andrew Kisner's not traded and he's still developing properly, you could see Kisner as the backup, but not in the traditional Yadier Molina's backup sense. Like he would probably be getting involved on a more regular basis, keeping Yadi fresh as things go along. The question has always been, would Yadi be open to that? And I've always thought the answer was no, but if maybe he's kind of changed his tune and, and would be willing to kind of coast a little bit more to, to expand his longevity in the game a little bit beyond uh, where he's at now, I could see Kisner and I could see that working out just fine where the natural successor kind of takes place. But as we mentioned, Kisner, already 25 years old. I'm not calling him old by any means. I'm 25. We're basically the same age, Andrew Kisner and I. I think I'm like a month older or something like that. 
Uh, nope, I was wrong. I'm I'm six months older or so. He had his birthday just in uh, February, so I'm six or seven months older than Andrew Kisner. But, at, you know, he's not old, but if you talk about two more years of Molina, then he's 27, and is, you know, is that fair to Kisner? Is it the best allocation of, of resources for the Cardinals if, you know, you're able to, to, to use him in a trade in some capacity? I like Kisner. I think I'd like to see what he could do, especially after you see, you know, Carson Kelly, they figured, well, we can trade him because we have Andrew Kisner. Well, Carson Kelly, pretty good. He had a, quite a few home runs last year, did pretty well for the D-backs, and so not saying you're going to regret trading for literally Paul Goldschmidt, but just kind of consider what you might have in Kisner and, and not to necessarily want to have that be a resource you would extend in a trade. But the other factor to this is Yvonne Herrera is coming. He's getting a lot of rave, rave reviews for the way he's handling himself in this Cardinals camp at age 19. He's he's an impressive young kid. The Cardinals are really, really high on him. And so you want to talk about like a more natural timeline for the the succession of Yadier Molina, especially if he's going to be around for a couple more years beyond 2020. It could make sense to go ahead and look Avon Herrera's direction. And he's still got a ways to go. He's not played beyond A ball to this point in time. Uh had like one game, I think, in his career in Springfield. That was back in, in 2018. He played a couple of games there. And so, still a ways to go and a lot to prove. But just his makeup, I think defensively, he's really impressive. The Cardinals like him a lot. Offensively, the numbers playing you know, at Palm Beach, he's played just a little bit. Mostly spent 2019 with Peoria. So those are the numbers you're going to more want to look at. 805 OPS in, in the Midwest League at 19 years old. That's, according to baseball reference, 2.3 years younger on average than the the competition he'd be playing against in that league. And so he might be somebody that could be a quick riser through the system. I'm not trying to overlook Andrew Kisner, but I think the way it sets up, he's probably not on the opening day roster based on the way I've got the bench calibrated right now. And Yvonne Herrera, definitely going to be somebody to watch in 2020 as someone who could be making moves. You know, he'll probably start at Palm Beach because he's only got a taste there so far. Didn't do a whole lot offensively, but I think you're going to see him at at now age 20. It will be that he'll turn in this season. He's born June 1st in the year 2000. So if that tells you anything about where we're at with some of these young kids, we've, we've flipped the script. 2000, that's a year that you're going to start to see more stars of tomorrow, and then it'll just be the stars of today as we all age and get older, and it's inevitable. <laughs> but that'll be Yvonne Herrera in a few years. 2020 could be a big year for him. He'll turn 20, and he could potentially advance to Springfield at some point in this season, probably not at the beginning of the year, but if things go well for him at Palm Beach, it wouldn't surprise me to see him kind of entrenched in Springfield by the end of the year. So, like Kisner, like Yvonne Herrera, have not gotten to see Yvonne Herrera much other than just you know, with what I've seen of him so far this spring. But Cardinals, internally, they love him. And so that might be the direction that you go a little bit more as far as the heir to Molina. Andrew Kisner will have plenty to say about that, though, as well. I think it's it's just going to be an interesting summer to watch both of those guys continue to progress. And, again, I don't know what Kisner has left to prove back down in Memphis, but I also don't think that you're going to want to just have him sit behind Yadier Molina and, and do, you know, ride the bench. So, We'll wait and see what happens for, for that situation this summer, but that's kind of my thoughts on the Kisner situation for right now. A couple other questions before we wrap up the show. 
the Twitter user Houston Astros Vice President of Public Relations said, I wouldn't mind hearing your take on Bregman wearing one yesterday and whether that was intentional. And that was a couple of days ago when the Cardinals had the split squad and it was Ramon Santos that hit Alex Bregman with a pitch. And I may have already talked about this a little bit, but it certainly was not something that looked intentional because I think it was a curveball that got away from him. You could tell in the video it wasn't like a straight, hard fastball or anything. So some sort of off-speed breaking pitch. But where it got Bregman was kind of like on the shoulder blade maybe or on the back, and so it looked like a little bit of a painful spot. And so he was kind of grimacing as he went down to first base. I saw a video on Twitter, don't know who posted it, but it was pretty funny because it had spliced over the video of Bregman getting hit by Ramon Santos. It had Alex Bregman on a podcast talking about how he's a fan of the way the game polices itself, and if you do something stupid on the field, you're going to get hit for it. And so then they asked him on the podcast audio that they play, they said, like, has that ever happened to you where you've had to wear one because of, you know, something stupid, you know, you or a teammate did? And he said, no, that's never happened to me. Uh, it's going to happen a lot to Alex Bregman in 2020, which hopefully doesn't get hurt because, you know, I got him in a couple of fantasy teams. You know, hopefully it doesn't get hurt because you don't want anybody to get hurt. I get that. But, uh, you know, getting hit by a pitch is still on base percentage. So he's the whole Astros team is going to go through that. And that kind of reminds me of and he asked for my thoughts on it. Um, you know, yeah, it's wasn't intentional, but definitely made for some good fodder for social media. And that's going to be the case all season long in Houston. Uh, I did have a little bit of. I don't know what the emotion is to describe it. Empathy, or I just kind of felt a little bit sad watching a video of George Springer getting booed, um, and, and he, like, fell to a knee trying to hit a home run and, and swung and missed. And the fans, I believe it was actually Mets fans that might have been in Port St. Lucie as well a couple days ago, uh, just got a riot out of that. And, you know, he's a guy who was part of that trash can banging and the Astros fan that went through and logged all of the bangings they could detect from that 2017 season you know George Springer was a part of that there's no denying it and so he's going to be a part of it just like the rest of them this year but that kind of bummed me out to see because he's a guy that I've really kind of respected especially off the field and you know he's he's a guy that has been open about how he's dealt with a, a stutter throughout his life and so when it comes to doing media interviews and stuff like that has has been able to overcome that and still do them. And I remember he did it on on the field interview where he was wearing a mic. Might have been in the All Star game. And I just I just really enjoyed his personality and enjoyed the way he's been an inspiration to younger younger kids and stuff like that. But it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough year to watch the Astros. If you're an Astros fan, I'm sorry, but I, I you're probably not listening to this podcast necessarily. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a long season in Houston. There's no doubt about it. Uh, let's check out what else I've got here. Somebody asked, Mark asked, who will slide into Michaelis' spot in the rotation until he gets healthy? We talked a lot about Ponce de Leon. I think right now he's my candidate for number six, but you've still got five starters, right? Unless somebody gets hurt, you've got Flaherty, Hudson, Wainwright, Carlos Martinez, Kwon Young Kim. That would be your five. And so I think Ponce right now would have the inside edge for me for the, the, the first spot if anybody does get hurt. But it looks like the numbers game is going to be just fine, even without Michaelis right now, which, again, I wouldn't expect to see him till probably May if everything goes well because he's you know still not going to be throwing. And then once he does, he's going to have to ramp back up. So I wouldn't expect to see him in the month of April. That would be a surprise to me. And the thing could honestly and obviously turn in the other direction that it may be a while before you see him. Haven't heard any updates, but don't expect to until he starts 
kind of getting back into the, the swing of things and trying to ramp back up again. So uh, not sure what the timetable is going to look like for him. Uh, one more question looks like we have from Kelly. Anything in camp about Puig? Maybe a one-year deal. Yasiel Puig still remains unsigned as far as I know unless he's been signed while I'm doing this podcast. I, I, I said back in December, I want to say it was, I wrote an article of it was like the five free agents the Cardinals should sign. Puig was on that list. I thought he would be a great fit, and that continues to be true because he, he's only going to presumably cost you less now than he would have back then because the market is just not materialized. And so I think what we're finding with Puig is people probably in their, you know, they plug in their baseball numbers and their projections in these front offices, and they see Puig as a guy who's maybe league average to slightly above, you know, kind of a, a poor man's Marcelo Zuna for 2020. And that's just not the kind of player that's getting paid in the modern day major league baseball, because it's the kind of guy that teams will say, well, we have Lane Thomas, we have Tyler O'Neill, and they're making under a mill. We're going to, we're going to take our chances with that. And so I think that's what the Cardinals are going to do as well. I, I would be shocked if they ended up going for Yasiel Puig. Don't think it would happen. I'd be totally for, uh, in favor of it though, if it were to happen, because I think while you could argue the projection for his performance would be league average, Yasiel Puig is anything but average. He would be a lot of fun to, to, to cover and to see what he would do on a daily basis. And I think he could have a pretty good year. I would not be surprised at all if he were to have a, a an uptick offensively. He's He's got the raw talent. It's just been certain seasons he hasn't put it all together. Uh, I, I hope he gets into a spring camp somewhere soon, though, because we've seen at times guys that do get into camp super late don't necessarily have the kinds of seasons that they otherwise could. And so we'll, we'll, we'll see where Plieg ends up, if anywhere, before the regular season begins. But I don't think it'll be in St. Louis, even though if it were, I would, I'd be totally in favor of that. I think he'd be a riot to be able to, to cover. And I think Cardinals fans would end up loving him, to be honest. Like, he's the kind of guy that on your team, you're going to love him. On the other team, you're going to hate him. It's just, you know, the way it goes for certain personalities in the game. I think Plieg is one of them for sure. Uh, but that's where we're going to wrap things up for today. Love to have you subscribe to the podcast, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your audio. I would love for you to uh, subscribe to the B-Shape Daily Show. It's just B-Shape Daily. That's where you'll find it if you're putting in the search terms on whatever the app that is that you use. But would love to have you on board. Appreciate you for listening if you've made it this far into the episode. It's Friday, so we'll see what happens tomorrow on Saturday. Not sure if I'll do a weekend podcast this time around or not. But if not, you'll see us right back here on Monday. And I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about from over the weekend. Once again, appreciate you guys for listening. And we will talk to you at the very latest on Monday.